Do you remember, Peter, do you remember when you were on, like, what, what was it, two and a half years ago, we opened the show by you translating uh, dangly grandpa balls? Yes, uh, I do. Of course, I'm, I'm traumatized ever since. High point of your translation <laughs> do, do, career. Do you remember the translation? Magerly Krokok Shanir. Such a good word. That's exactly it. You thought he made it up and he was going to say something else this time. <laughs> that's it. At the time, I was very suspicious and I said, I'm going to wait two and a half years. I'm going to fucking test this fucker well, well, again. I don't even need to do the podcast. We've done this. We sorted it out now. It was... It was yeah, it was okay. Good. And that's what yeah. I'm politics. <laughs> was that your cold open? That was just a, an interesting talking point, I thought. <laughs> not You see, not everybody... I know you guys have a lot of listeners and, and a lot of loyal listeners, but not everybody's going to remember Dangly Grandpa Balls. Uh, excuse you. When you're confronted by some big dangly grandpa balls, ask Elga, you're going to remember that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that fucking stays Fathers with you. Fathers are everywhere. <laughs> maybe, maybe though, we should um, like add something new to the cultural conversation and in another two and a half years' time, we can reminisce on this moment. Can you like translate... Uh, like tight uncle buttocks. <laughs> Did you just come up with that? Do, I mean, do I have to? Yeah, I tried to think. What's the opposite of dangly? You grandpa literally just came up with that on the spot, Richie. This is. I think we need to go into some psychological podcasting right now about where that came Sh- from. Hey, Steve, sh- shut up and let the man translate tight uncle buttocks. Tone town dunkle. <gasps> That's beautiful. <laughs> no, it's, it's specifically beautiful it's specifically your uncle's uh, tight buttocks because I assume you're referring to someone who's. Who's I've got some someone kind of, in mind, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Some kind of repressed childhood memory there. <laughs> Sharing a changing room with a relative that you just didn't want to, like... Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Oh, oh, Jesus, fuck, Uncle Derek, that's ridiculously smooth. <laughs> right, well, I'm going to... First of all, I'm going to get that embroidered on a pillow and then I'm going to go to therapy. <laughs> Are you going to get an Elvish or Irish? Is the next pillow you're going to give me... Uncle's, tight, tight uncle buttocks. Tight, tight uncle Elga on a uh, fucking black pillow. You you can't read Elvish. That last pillow I got you could have said that. <laughs> With a question mark at the end. Tight uncle buttocks. Yeah. Tight uncle buttocks. <laughs> tight uncle buttocks. Yes. You know, okay, there's your cold open. <laughs> You're good at these, Richie. Keep it up. Do we want to remind people who Peter is, or do you think everyone, again, Peter has such staying power that everyone just knows? He's been a, we've had a featured episode at the website on the episodes function that's just been a photograph of Peter for about two years. And <laughs> that's, that's, and it's a pretty fantastic photo and all that, but every now and again I'm like, that's been there much too long. I must go in and change that, but then I'm also like, meh. That was no, because the- now we can just keep it there as well because he's come back around. <laughs> yeah. We're going to use the same photo. That was, my, that was my cover photo on Facebook for way beyond that episode even being topical. It was like... I just like this. The this teal background. Nice. Like, I like that. Yeah, the yeah, blue background is good. It works. I've got to use it again probably for this episode. Oh, that's great because I don't want to take another one. I look a lot worse than I did two and a half years ago. He's gone through some shit. I, I've seen some shit. <laughs> fatherhood. <laughs> I'm not there in person. Is the beard still as good as it ever was, Steve? It's down to his ankles now, to be honest. Yeah. Nice. It's woven okay. into my chest hair. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I nice. don't know which start, starts and what ends. And I don't even want to talk about his pubes because as a Green Party councillor, he's, he's not permitted to wear clothes at the weekends for sustainability reasons. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I've read that in the pamphlets. In the literature. Literature. Just, just a banana hammock mm-hmm. to preserve my modesty. It was really good that the pamphlets were also, um, they, they double as toilet paper. It was just bad that they, you know, used for that purpose first before yeah. giving them out. Well, look, this is how you save the environment. One wipe at a time. One, sh- one <laughs> shitty pamphlet at a time. Guys, just tell me this bit isn't going in. Like, oh, this is all, this is all in. in. Great. This is all in. It's a good start. There's nothing good start. left on the cutting room yeah. floor. Again, this is a sustainable podcast. Yeah. Nothing goes to waste. We use every part of the animal. 
the uh, <laughs> the party bigwigs in Green Party headquarters, which is a 27 story building in Ireland now, by the way, they're going to be reviewing this podcast going, hmm, should we let him run for the doll? Oh, no. What is this? <laughs> yeah, well, the, we're woke and stuff, Green Party people. So get with it. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to that phone call from the party leader next week. <laughs> so is that really how you translate tight uncle? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I needed to know for the election posters. <laughs> Oh, God. Should we actually get into it? Then? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Peter, you are still Peter Kavanagh. I'm still Peter Kavanagh. I'm Councillor Peter Kavanagh. Councillor Peter Kavanagh. That's yeah. true. So that's yeah. actually like... You told me he won the presidency. <laughs> Did I? I've only just turned 35. I've only just become eligible to run for the presidency. So I'm going to have to at least wait another uh, six years. Which would you prefer? Next. Michael D to die too soon or to wait then? I'd much prefer to wait. He's a great president. Mm. Class. I don't know. I, th- I found your assassination Steve, plans. Steve, what did we talk about with leading questions on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so how would you kill the president? <laughs> <laughs> when you kill the president, how are you going to kill him? <laughs> I, feel, I feel sort of uh, ambushed. <laughs> this is how we do gotcha questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty gotcha question. That's... that's... The guards are outside, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Conspiracy to commit assassination, you know, that rubs off. You yeah, know? that's proper treason. Let's uh, let's move swiftly on. Richie, how did you take us on to this topic, for God's sake? Uh, it's it's not me. It's I'm just trying to take down Peter before he can take down the president. Good man. Uh, it's like you're allowed to say that because after Brexit, it's entirely possible that we will have no extradition treaty with the wasteland formerly known as the United Kingdom. So That's true. I can yeah. finally be free to say what I want on this podcast. <laughs> Maybe we'll end up doing what the Brits used to do to Australia and we'll like send our convicts onto rafts and just push them east off the coast of Ireland. No, 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 no. They'll end up in Hollyhead and I, I don't know any crime that deserves that as a punishment. <laughs> Even now. <laughs> Even now. Like, yeah. We're going to send them east. Where, where, where? Hollyhead. Oh, Ooh, it's too much. what did he do? It must be really bad. Yeah, that does it. Yeah, there, that is, there is that old adage, to hell or to Hollyhead. <laughs> Man, Hollyhead's a kip. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> To any, any Welsh listeners out there, I hope you're not from that part. No, listen, I love Anglesey. Anglesey's actually a really, really nice part of Wales. The island that Hollyhead is on is a really nice part of Wales. But I had the misfortune of being stuck in Hollyhead for several hours when I was 12. The HSS had just started, the new mm. fast ferry. And my family decided we would take a trip over and a trip straight back on the next HSS. But there was a misprint on our tickets. So we ended up having to stay in Hollywood for eight hours. Doing nothing. And we had to wait for the slow boat. You can't do anything. There's there's one Chinese restaurant with a meal there. And then we went to a pub and I, like me and my brother, we were very young. I was 12 and he was eight. So we were allowed to stay in the pub until about 10 o'clock and then they kicked us out. So then we just had to go and sit in the ferry port in Hollywood because there's there's nothing else. It doesn't even have that many seats. I was in it last year. Yeah, yeah. It's desperate. Uh, and eventually at three o'clock in the morning, we got uh, got on the slow boat. And uh, we landed back in Dunleary at about uh, eight o'clock in the morning. So that's why you decided to run for council. (laughs) I was literally going to say that. And it was this injustice (laughs) that set you on the course. Like, you know, having spent an additional eight hours in Hollywood, I feel that I kind of understand what Madiba went through. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, Okay, so you ran for election recently. Yes. What date? Uh, I was elected. uh, Well, the election was on the... um, Way to put me under pressure here, Nick, because I was returned two days <laughs> after the election. This is a very basic question, Peter. <laughs> uh, 25th of May, and I was elected on the 27th. We talked a good bit about it around the time. It was a local election, European elections, and yeah. then we threw in an L referendum because that's what we did. We had no referendum. We, roll. we love referendums. We love them. We just stick them on everything. Yeah. 
So as long as well as all them bits, um, you ran for election for which county council? Uh, South Dublin County Council in the Clondalkin local electoral area. And that's where you're from? That is, yeah. Born and reared. Born and reared. Straight out of Clondalkin. Straight out of the Dawkin. Are you, <laughs> is, what's his face, one of your constituents? The, yes. What's his name? Yes, uh, him. Yes. Yeah. Him. The guy that, Your one? Is your one still there? She is, yeah. She was asking for you. Oh, nice. Yeah. I am nice talking about someone's, Conor McGregor. That's the guy. No, uh, Conor McGregor is, um, I, well, I mean, I don't know where he lives right now, but Crumlin is where he's from. Uh, that's not part of yours? No. Okay. Nope. I always get that confused, uh, Clondalkin and Crumlin, because maybe we could see and they're near each other. They are very near each other. Yeah. In fact, the, the two um, the two constituencies uh, border on each other, but Crumlin is in Dublin City Council. So you're going to invade them soon? No, no. I'm uh, quite a fan of the councillors in Crumlin, uh, particularly my green colleague, Councillor Patrick Costello. So, uh, so you don't have like a West Side Story conflict? Yeah. With it will, I mean, we do we do occasionally meet at the M50 and snap our fingers at each other, but it's yeah, you, you know, can't it's, hear because of all the it's traffic. It's good fun. Not very nice. <laughs> Uh, and what party were you at? We've alluded to already. With the yeah, I am a member stuff. of the, I'm a Green Party councillor. Excellent. Yeah. The soundest yeah. party. <laughs> that's, that's their tagline. Yeah. That's their tagline. <laughs> it's vote, it's like, yeah, it's vote green, we're not dicks. We don't want the world to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I think, I've looked around and I think we're the only party that doesn't want the world to end, so why not what vote novel, for us, lads? What a novel idea. <laughs> so when did you decide I would love to give up loads of my time in exchange for not much money to become a, a, a city councillor. Oh God, um, I don't know if that's ever a conscious decision that I took, but um, do you know that you got elected? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, okay. yeah. just checking. Um, <laughs> it's kind of I don't know if it's something that you really that you really think about. Like you know what I mean? You definitely nobody who runs for county council is is in it to get rich anymore. You know, I say any more because at one stage uh, it was quite public how uh, some councils were known to be sort of on the make and, you know, but, but now they have no planning responsibilities almost whatsoever, bar the part eight planning, which is where councils build their own, uh, build their own houses and buildings. Uh, and For the people, not for themselves. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For the people, like council housing as we, as we know it, or, or council buildings. Um, yeah, I, I mean... I certainly, when you frame it that way, uh, I think I might draft up my letter of resignation. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> it's like it's like Scarface, but you've missed out that you can't get the power or the money, so you can't. So now you can't get the power or the women. So why bother? <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. So first you get the council seats, then you get the women. Was it? It's like question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, I I was asked by the Green Party to join and to run, and I didn't really hesitate. I said, "Yeah, cool." You were headhunted. I'll do that. I was. Yeah. Um. I've been a, I've been an activist in my community for a very long time. Um, I've been a language rights activist. That was what brought me onto this podcast the first time. We we're talking about it at that stage. I had recently joined the Green Party. I know because I was the episode after Ed Davitt. So you guys were in danger of, you know, turning completely green instead of teal there for a little mm. while. But, uh, <laughs> but then we got Finnegale on, and we went back a little back, bit. Yeah, blue. they blewed you up a little bit. Like yeah, <laughs> a little uh, bit. Yeah. <laughs> As our reviews keep on reminding us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we, that stank still lingers. We never get five stars. Thanks for having a green party all over your fucking podcast. We still get one star. Why did you have Finnegale on two years ago? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, hey, remember that one time you did that thing? <laughs> it's um, like one star fascist podcast for fascists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for fascists by fascists <laughs> and, and that's that's what's important 
Um, yeah, so I, I had been I'd been very active in my community. I had been working with South Dublin County Council as a community representative on a few of their committees. And when they asked me to run, they asked me to run in a in a general election. I wasn't able to run in the twenty sixteen general election. And uh, I said, but I will. I, I'll run in the in the local elections. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was a, a long slog. Like, you're right, you're giving up an awful lot of your time. You're getting out there uh, towards the end of the election. I mean, this was basically a two-year campaign, more or less. Did anybody else want to run at the time in your for the Greens? No, no. We had a... The Green Party were kind of at a low ebb um, in a lot of areas over the last couple of years. And that's kind of the natural fallout of having been in government and been decimated at the general election uh, in 2011. We got two seats back in 2016. There's a little bit of a resurgence in 2014. We didn't have a lot of councillors and a lot of local groups where there would have been a Green Party TD or Green Party councillor who sort of just disappeared. Those Mm. groups sort of fell off the radar as well and Clondalkin and by extension the whole Dublin Midwest constituency that was kind of part of it. Paul Gogarty had been the Green TD there and he left the Greens. He's now an independent councillor. He's a colleague of mine and uh, you know where he had sort of been responsible for the growth of the Green Party in Dublin Midwest. When he left that sort of fell it just fell away. There was nobody there. So when when I was approached and asked to join the Green Party part of my job was to build up another local network of people and you know, it's great. A couple of friends joined. Uh, once I said I was running for election, there were a few friends. Like, well, we, we'll join. We'll help you out. And then you get a couple of people. As you build profile, as you get into the local press, as you start to do things, most importantly, as you knock on doors and you talk to people, um, people start to get involved. So uh, in particular, after a very successful election where we got 57 councillors north and south of the border, 49 in the Republic, um, it was really successful. And we get loads of people now ringing up and saying, I want to join. I want to get involved. I want to be part of what is Ooh. essentially essentially a movement more so than just a traditional political party. Are you seeing more, like with, with the rise of things like Extinction Rebellion and similar movements and, and more discourse around the idea of like um, environmentalism and such, are you seeing more of a rise in your membership and like Definitely. the activity of the party as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been a thing for the last uh, two and a half, three years. Uh, whenever Donald Trump makes a stupid statement about climate change, we get a little spike in our membership. But uh, in recent years with the IPCC report saying that we basically have uh, 11 and a quarter years left to save humanity. Uh, we did see a spike of people getting involved. And then Extinction Rebellion, an organisation I'm proud to be involved with, um, you know, they, they've certainly made climate change a huge part of the discourse. For the first time, I was seeing uh, RT61 News leading with stories about pollinators and the decline of natural bee, natural bee species here in Ireland. Um, so people were conscious of it. And I kind of noticed it in the campaign because at the very, very start, I was going out going like, right, everyone knows the Greens are about climate change. My role and my job is to convince them that we're serious about everything else. I'm going to talk about our housing policy. I'm going to talk about uh, fair rent. I'm going to talk about, you know, third level education. I'm going to talk about the healthcare system. I'm going to talk about all the stuff that matters to people. And as the campaign went on and as I was knocking on door after door after door, there was like a sea change at some stage earlier on this year where the thing people wanted to talk about was all of a sudden climate change. Mm, And it sort of went from, oh yeah, yeah, climate change, not too interested in that, but tell me, what can you do for, can you fix my streets? Can you clean the dog shit off my road? Or, you know, can you uh, get more trees out here? And all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, I saw it on the news. Jesus, we've no fucking bees left. Like this is, we have to, we have to do something. Um, Are you going to bring me some bees? You're going to bring me some bees. Yes, I had pockets full of bees. And that's why he won, ladies and gentlemen, I always pocket full yeah, of bees. I carried an EpiPen as well, just in case, just in case. For informational purposes, if, um, 
the next time you go for council, someone wants someone else in the party wants to stand. Yeah. How does a party go about selecting that person? Um, we operate on a system of lowest effective decision-making, lowest effective level decision-making. Uh, we always have as a party ever since we were founded. Um, we didn't even have a leader until the 90s. Um, we just decided that like, we weren't a party that needed a leader. Then the practicalities of being a parliamentary party meant that we needed somebody with responsibility who could ask leaders questions and the like. So we had Trevor Sargent and then John Gormley and then uh, Eamon Ryan, who's the current leader. Um, so we tend to still operate at that level most effective decision-making level. So what happens is if somebody wants to run and they want to say, take me on or whatever at local level and say, I'd be a better councillor than Peter Kavanagh, um, they simply have to be nominated by two members of the party who live in the electoral area in question. And then we'd go head to head at a selection convention. Uh, all of the paid up members who live in that area vote on it. And you put your ideas forward and then the members it. take pick who they exactly, want. Exactly, yes. So it's incredibly de- democratic. Um, we mm. don't get a lot of um, so-called parachute candidates, mm. um, which is where a party decides, oh, we could really do with this person in this area. So we tend to get a lot more of um, people who are running in an area because they're from that area. And they, they understand. Now, there were some areas where we had no local group and there were some areas where we had absolutely no presence at all and we felt that it would be worth running somebody. So where we couldn't establish a local group or get a local uh, to run, we, we would we would put somebody on the ballot there. And we've even been successful in a few of them uh, and returned councillors who like live you. just outside the area, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, we tend to avoid that sort of hierarchical decision-making where the party leadership says, actually, we're going to replace you with X. That doesn't happen. Does that happen in other parties? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the furore. Like, um, particularly, particularly with the advent of gender quotas yes, in national I was elections. About to say, it's happening right here in my constituency for the ne- next election. Election. There's a senator from Fine Gael who are the government party um, who's being parachuted into Dublin Bay North where I mm. am who has no affiliation at all with the area but like a couple of years oh, she ago. She lives in Dublin 15. Which is far away from here. <laughs> yeah. So um, t- in order for the gender quota I guess and as well there was kind of there's a gap in this market for Fine Gaelers. They kind of put her in here but that's I like I mean I haven't I don't know that many people involved at the local level of the party, but I can guess that there's people that were thinking that maybe they should have a chance if they were to stand. So what Peter described is where people just put themselves forward and the local people select who they do. A lot of right. big parties are not like that. They're like... Yeah, they, right. they can also impose candidates. and, Head, and headquarters. Fianna, yeah, Fianna Fáil have run into it a, a couple of times that like they, even in their, their most recent uh, European election campaign, um, the, the, the members of uh, Fianna Fáil in the South... Uh, didn't select Billy Keller. Mm. Uh, but then the Fianna Fáil party said, you know, he's running. <laughs> you mm. know, so he's going on the ballot as well. Just um, for the record, it isn't always all bad. Sometimes no, no. sometimes you get good people put in by the outside party who... Yeah, and look at it this way. If yeah. you were to put your Machiavellian hat on uh, and say, from from the pure point of I view of a party it. looking... Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's green. <laughs> I wear it. Um, from the pure point of view of a party looking to get gains, in, in, take that one particular case that you're, you're talking about. Senator Catherine Noon is incredibly high profile. I didn't mention her name, but there well, she I is. I did. Yeah, but I mean, I did because it, it's known that she's running in Dublin Bay North. She's a great parliamentarian. Like she was the chair of the um, the the committee on the uh, the referendum for the Eighth Amendment. Yes. Uh, huge media opportunity. She was in the media all the time. She did 
did an amazing job at that. She was actually an incredible chair of that committee. She managed to balance the problem of having to give speaking time to um, essentially extremists and managed to balance that with being able to make sure that the Citizens' Convention was well represented and that Mm. the question that was put to the people was fair and equitable. And Mm. I thought she did an amazing job. She's in the same constituency as the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar. So, no you know, her. no room there. You know what I mean? Maybe as a second candidate, but they're looking at this strategically and saying, we're probably not going to return two people in West Dublin. Leo's very popular. He'll probably get back in, but I don't think he's going to drag a second candidate over the line. But there's this gap here in Dublin Bay North and we have this high profile rising star. Why not drop it in? So there is an element strategically where you'd go Jesus at times I wish I wish we could do that but I'm happier mm. with the with the with the more equitable democratic process I, I just yeah I think it's a fair way of doing things let's uh let's bring things back around to the idea of campaigning um Peter when I think of campaigning I've got this really romanticized Aaron Sorkin style image in my head of like a really bustling cramped office space and it's filled with loads of stacks of posters with your face on it and there's lads there with their sleeves rolled up and they're drinking coffee from to-go cups and they're pointing at maps and stuff. No, I'll keep How, cups. I'll keep cups. No to-go I'll cups at all. No, no re, all reusable. Excellent. Of That's the only difference. Very on That's message, the only difference. Everything else is exactly as you described it. We can end the episode now, but the yeah, only yeah, difference yeah. is... I'll, no, I will say one thing. Aaron Sorkin has never knocked on a fucking door in his life to ask for a vote. Like, you know what I mean? It's, um, it's, it's that. Like, my front room had a map of my constituency on it, and it had two laptops open. And Where do you get the maps? I got it. I downloaded it off the county council website, and I went to um, a print company in the city centre and said, can you, can you do me this in A0? So... <laughs> It's huge. It's There's massive. A wall. Like, yeah, it's a, uh, it's massive. And I have, uh, I have, uh, if I, if I knocked on doors on a street, it's, it's highlighted in green. And if I only managed to get leaflets out there, it's highlighted in orange. But wow, it was, it was so you can keep a track of where you've been and where you can go, what you can do in a night, how many houses you can knock on. If you get three people out canvassing, you could do maybe a hundred houses in one canvas. Um, canvassing is, is tricky because you got to wait till people get back from work that's 6 o'clock but you have mm. to sort of stop 8, 8.30 because it's, kids go to rude. bed yeah. and it's rude after a certain point although when the going is good you don't want to stop like it's it's, it's yeah. really fantastic but yeah that that that, uh, that idea of a HQ I did have a sort of a, an amateur version of the um, you know the you see it in, in not just the Sorkin shows but shows like Veep as well American canvassing is all about that you know everybody's rolling up the sleeves and you know if it was mm. the 70s or the 80s they'd all be chain smoking but now yeah. they're just drinking cups chain and cups vaping. of coffee chain vaping, chain vaping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> blowing, just it just blowing smells like custard balls. cream biscuits in there <laughs> mm, vanilla um so yeah, we did have a, we did have a sort of a base of operations in my front room, and my shed was completely chock full of posters. Like I um, I had lots of pictures of my face around the place, which is very mm. disconcerting uh, <laughs> at times. Like you go out to the shed to get your bike, and there's just 150 pictures of you just staring nice. from every angle, and of you're the just shed. there masturbating in your shed. Um, no, it's cold and it's little. <laughs> there are nicer places to do that, Richie. You don't have to do it in a shed. I mean, what? I question your upbringing, to be honest with you. <laughs> He's from Kildare. It makes sense. Oh, it yeah, makes okay, sense yeah, yeah. That's fair. It's called the Masturbatorium. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a feature. <laughs> it adds a lot of value to a house. If you mention the Masturbatorium on Daft, you can charge seventeen fifty a month. Like <laughs> Look, we all know that the Headstuff Studios is the biggest masturbatorium of the ball. So let's move on. <laughs> That's exactly it. So th- those are the ways in which it's like, it's, I guess, different from that romantic idea. But is there any ways in which it's it's similar to that romantic idea? Like how much, how did it feel when you were campaigning? 
Did it feel like a Sorkin production? <laughs> At times, yes, absolutely. Like when you when you finish a good campaign, you're all high fiving each other. Or you finish a good night, a good night on the campaign. It's been really positive. You have a little bit of work to do. People are looking for you to do something for them, uh, or a lot of people have promised you their votes, and you, you feel mm. that it was a really really good night. You get back. You you might go to the pub for a pint, or you might get back for a cup of coffee in the house. You high five each other. Hit up the masturbatorium. You just yeah. <laughs> Hit it up. Oof, that's telling. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it does. I'm not familiar with the uh, prevalence of masturbation in Aaron Sorkin productions, but apart from oh, that, it's, it was- al- it's almost exclusively that. <laughs> like season season four <laughs> West Wing. It's just the president fapping off in the, in the situation room or giving out about the situation with Iran. God damn it. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest with you, when, when Bartlett was on his second term, he knew there was literally nothing he could do wrong. So, yeah, it's oh, true. Why not just drop down and beat off for. Um, Four seasons. I think we've taken this joke to its extent, so let's move quickly on. Um, does it cost any money to run for county council in Ireland? Yes. Yes, it, it does. Um, so where did you get that money? Yeah, Wait. Peter, where'd you get the money? Where'd you get <laughs> Most, the money, Peter? Are you in the pocket of big tobacco? I'm not in the pocket of big anything, thankfully. Small um, tobacco. If you were to be in the pocket of something big, what would it be? What would it be? If you had to choose. Big hummus. <laughs> big hummus. Be in the pocket of big hummus. Like, yeah. Yeah. Big beard oil. Big beard oil. <laughs> I use conditioner. It's much cheaper. Um, pro tip. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I did a GoFundMe, uh, which uh, which basically I just prostrated myself and I said, hey, folks, I'm running for election. And if you um, if you would like to support me, if you want to throw us a tenner, that'd be great. Um, we have really strict and really good uh, donation laws in Ireland. Like if you get any cash donations of over 100 quid, you have to declare it. Um, so you can only have anonymous donations of, you know, less than that. That's per person per year. So I can't just go 200 to 200 per person per year. I yeah. can't just give you 90 quid each time. No, you can't. No, yeah. no, that's like it is. It's really, really good. In the Green Party, so we ages have... if you're trying to bribe someone a million euros and you're just like, okay, 90. <laughs> accept well, it. I accept it. 90. Okay, I accept it. I accept yeah. it. When, they, when, the, when the party, um, when I started the campaign, the party, the Green Party had a, a policy of no corporate donations. Um, quite simply that we couldn't be in the pocket of anyone. We've sort of relaxed that now that as a party at national it. level as a, as a party at national level we um, we can work with businesses that share a similar ethos. Mm. Um, it was basically so we could get a discount on um, Irish produced beer at convention because mm. like discounts count as a as a donation. Uh, it's benefit in kind. That's a corporate donation and we weren't allowed to accept it so That's fucking ridiculous. I know yeah so we, we relaxed a little bit to sort of deal with things like that so that we can work with companies that have the same ethos as us. But at a local level, as a candidate by candidate level, we were still totally no on corporate donations. Mm. So, and again, it didn't even, it didn't even, I got no donations of over a hundred euro. You know, I got a lot of small donations from a lot of people who were happy that we'd be fighting the good fight mm. in Clintock. And uh, that was great. So it was all those little tenors and 20 euros. They all added up and I was working it out. Um, the campaign in total cost about uh, so you have to document very carefully what you spend in what's known as the election period which is like the three months leading up to it mm-hmm. um, and it was 1600 euros um, so that's like two sets of flyers because like we knocked on 13,000 doors so that's a lot of flyers you Ooh. know um, and then we probably got flyers out to another 3,000 doors that I wasn't able to get to and then um, 150 posters um, posters are just they're I hate them because like they're 
they're everywhere and they're really annoying, but they're absolutely vital. Like they're so, so important in, in Irish politics. Like we tried a little while ago um, to change the system. If you guys have ever been to um, Brussels or, mm. or even any German city during election time, there's no posters on every lamppost. Spain are the same. But Spain is the same, exactly. But in the middle of every municipal centre, they have this billboard and everybody gets an equal size to put their posters up on it. We wanted that here, but... Um, it just, it was shot down. It wasn't something, it was Grace O'Sullivan raised it in the Shannon, but it it, um, it just got shot down. Fine Gael had no interest in it. And, and like, we kind of have a political system that's stacked in favour of the big boys. Mm. Uh, the bigger the party, the more money you get uh, from the state. So they were interested in, in keeping that status quo. So maybe at local level, maybe now that we have so many councillors, we can start to change it. But they were kind of a necessary evil, but they're they're just so important. Like, And every single election, the debate starts up again. It's like, oh, you're in the Green Party. Why did you use posters? It's like, because I can do a lot more as an elected Green councillor than I can as an honourable, you know, loser who didn't yeah. get in because he didn't use any posters. Yeah. And, you and 150, know, to be honest, is very low. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's quite, it's quite, I didn't put up all 150 of them. I put up, I put up 100, uh, I put up 110. Things sorry. might be changing though, because in this local area, um, I didn't see a single poster for the Green Party candidate and she topped the poll. So yeah, perhaps, yeah. like, I mean, I presume she did have them, but I'm somebody that like was going around looking at them and I yeah. still didn't notice them. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure she did. I'm not sure Councillor Cooney put up any posters, um, but you got to bear in mind that uh, she's run in a whole heap of elections and has been working hard and has been an activist in the community for a long time. Mm. Um, so there, you- there were people who were in a position that they were not able, you know, they were able to go without posters and that's great. Councillor Malcolm Noonan down in uh, Kilkenny didn't put up a single poster, but Dude's been a councillor for 15 years. Everyone knows him. It's great. I was a first-time candidate. I absolutely had to. Uh, and, you know, everybody understands that. It's no problem. People were very reasonable when you said that to them. They go, oh, you're green. Why do you have posters? Well, here's why. I want to win. Yeah. And you don't know who I am. And I, I will knock on 13,000 doors, but like maybe 25% of them will be in and will answer and will have a conversation with you. Sometimes people are busy and they just take the leaflet and the leaflet goes straight in recycling. So I need them to come out of their door you and hope. look up on the road and see... <laughs> You know, there's a, um, I do hope it's in recycling, yeah. Um, but I, I need them to come out of their doors and see, like, there's Kavanaugh, vote number one, he's the Green. And if nothing else, you know there's a Green candidate, you see my face. I was very happy with the, the photo on it. It was yeah. uh, it was quite a good photo. Uh, and, you know, it, it really does, it really does make a difference. And, you know, the the... <laughs> All the arguments against postering, I understand them, I hear them, but nobody's come up with a proper replacement yet. I'd love to level the playing field because I'd love not to have to spend, it was like six quid a poster before VAT. The only so way it's to quite fi- expensive. Oh, the only way to fix it, as you say, is to legislate and to actually bring in a rule. And as you say, the guys who benefit the most from them are the ones that are doing it. So it's one of those things that we're just not going to get around to it for a very long time, probably. Um, we'll take a pause because we do a new thing now in the middle of the episode where we have to come up with true fake facts about the topic that we're talking about. So campaigning. Um, Richie? Yeah. I've decided you go first. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, do, uh, do you want me to tell you a story about the first uh, person to ever do a political campaign? Sure. Um, his, he was, a, it, it, he was a, a caveman. So this is like <laughs> going way back. And his name was... Um, oh, Ch- Chunk. His name was Chunk. Chunk. <laughs> Chunk. He was a big, big guy. Yeah, his name was Chunk Thickstone, and he was the first person to ever, you know, campaign politically. And he would go around knocking on caves, kissing cave babies, uh, and he was for the the prehistoric. 
People's Party or the Triple P, as I like to be known. And he he got he ran on a platform because he like he was notable because uh, he well, he didn't invent the wheel, but he invented the Pentagon, which was smoother than the square that they were using for wheels prior to that. <laughs> it was slightly more efficient. Uh, so he was a progressive. He was yes, but he was eventually. Um, uh, surpassed by the guy who did eventually uh, invent a wheel. But for a little while there, he was doing pretty well politically. Uh, he campaigned on a, a platform of trying to cut down on um, like pterodactyl abductions, which was pretty prevalent at the time. And that time was sometime long ago. Uh, my true fake fact is about the last person ever to campaign. Oh. Um, I got a nugget of, from the future beamed to me in my dream last night, so it definitely must be true. Um, this guy was also called Chunk for some reason. Um, was, it, was it a descendant, do you think? I, I would imagine so, yeah. He invented the quantum computer that was also shaped like a, a hexagon, so maybe there was something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, he used the quantum computer to try and game the vote system, but it ended up actually going full Matrix Terminator AI. Oh, no. And the, oh, the, you're talking about the Chunk tricks. The ch- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was it. And then once that happened, it turned out that it made a whole load of um, Terminators to go and rule us all. But oh, the Chunkinators, the Chunkinators. But the worst part about the Chunkinators is that they weren't a whole load of Arnold Schwarzeneggers, which I could have stomach. Mm. It was a whole load of Donald Trump and Trump, 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 Trump chunkers. Oh no, not Trump chunkers. That's that you. You hate to see that. Uh, Peter, you're not getting away with this. <laughs> yeah, um, a true fake fact. Uh, a true fake fact about campaigning. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you know that uh, Bill Clinton uh, invented um, that that little um, Purell um, that that disinfectant that you have? No oh, the, way! The yeah, because yeah, because yeah. you know that like you know shaking hands and kissing babies. Yeah, yeah. hated it. Yeah. Hated it. Also, yeah. oh, did he? Is he the one who started disinfecting babies? He did. Yeah, there was a little oh. bit of trouble in Little Rock, Arkansas, when he just disinfected too many babies, and I sort of said, "Bill, could you not like?" You know that that liquid that you've invented to disinfect babies? Why don't you use it for your hands instead? What do you mean disinfect the babies isn't necessarily a bad thing? He was going for the eyes. It was rough. (laughs) This is before no tears formula as well. Yeah, it was tough. Like This was like extra tears formula. It was awful. My assumption, though, is that he was having to disinfect his hands to stop the people from catching his dirty germs because we all know what he's all about. That that is that is entirely possible. Yeah. Uh, okay, so those are the true fake facts, and they are all absolutely true and not absolutely fake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get sued by the manufacturers of Purell. Yeah, <laughs> and Bill Clinton. This is <laughs> double whammy. The joint lawsuit. <laughs> um, okay, so back to the topic at hand. Um, not masturbation, Richie. Before you jump in, hey, what about? Oh wait, <laughs> um, did you have a team to help you? Yeah, I was really lucky. Um, you weren't just a, using your uh, newborn child to do all the work. No, I wasn't. Just you get a couple of years, couple of years off. Yeah, I was. Oh my god, I was. I was returned on his first birthday. Oh, he's going to be six when you're running for re-election. That's perfect. That is perfect. Yeah, and he's the right really, height for post boxes. And he's totally cute as well. Like he's totally cute. Yeah, he's adorable. Yeah. Um, I missed his first birthday because that's when I was elected. Like uh, you missed it. The day I was elected was his first birthday. We had to celebrate it a week later. Um, no, I, I was really lucky. Um, I mean, I was out every single night um, for many months. Like two years in, I started going out like once a month. Just pick a place, go and do it. Make sure people know who I am. 18 months out, it was once a week. And then coming up to the to the campaign itself, I took time off work and it was three a day. Wow. So it really escalated. So I did an awful lot of campaigning on my own. 
but uh, there was a team behind me. There was a local uh, Green Party group. Um, there was uh, my best mate was was coming out to help me. Uh, my wife was just incredible. She was amazing. She just had such an appetite for campaigning. My brother, um, amazingly, late in the day, he just volunteered. I didn't think he had any interest, but uh, I just I was short on people one evening, and I said, "Do you want to come out and knock on doors?" He was an absolute natural. He mm. was he was brilliant. Uh, so it was fantastic. I was amazed with how many people stepped up, and it's a real. It's incredibly humbling. Like it's incredibly humbling, and and yet at the same time, it's absolutely class. Like mm. that, that all these people go. You know what? Peter would make a good councillor, so I want him to win. So I'm going to go and and help him. And it was great because it's not an easy thing. Like you're knocking on doors and you're saying, "Hi, hey, how's it going?" I know everyone's knocking on your door, so you're really pissed off and you don't want to talk to people anymore. But here's the green guy. Uh, would you listen to him for a minute? And then. When you have a team of people with you, there's a difference in canvassing on your own. It's really slow. It's a drag. You have to knock on every single door. You have to wait. They open the door. They don't open the door. So you're five minutes every single door. You're out there. When you have a team of people out there, as the candidate, you can sort of hang back, wait. And when you see a door open, you swoop in for the opportunity. Uh. You take over from the person at the door. And it's amazing. Like, you know, people's people's eyes tend to light up. They go, oh, you're the candidate. Oh, cool. You know, you feel important. Mm. And it is great. Like, you do. Like, it's class. Peter, uh, you are important. Yeah. But I mean, that said, like, there there were a lot of days where it was just me uh, or it was just me and my wife or it was just me and my brother or it was just me and my mate. Um, my fellow uh, Green Party councillor, uh, Liam Sinclair, um, who emailed you guys, actually, and... Uh, He's the one who called you Steve and Steve's co-presenter. That's him! Yeah, My yeah, mortal yeah. enemy! Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Peter, you said uh, you laugh now, but like... My best friend. He's, he's probably going to refer to you as that, like, I'm Steve's co-host and you're Steve's guest. Yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not. So long as, it's, as, long as he calls me Councillor Steve, Steve's guest. <laughs> um, no, he was elected as well, but we would sort of trade off. Like, he'd help me one week and I'd help him another week. Um... I was, oh, that was so fascinating because, like, we are in neighbouring local electoral areas. I'm in Clondalkin and he's in uh, Tala Central. So they, they border each other. The Nace Road is the border. And uh, just the issues and the the level of engagement and everything was totally different in two different places. Like, wow. It was, it was so, so interesting. Um, but you would have ended up serving on the same council. We are, yeah. So you well, would have been essentially having to fix the same problems that these people are telling you about. Oh yeah, more or less. Like you do get a general, like I wouldn't have had to fix anything in Tala, if you know what I mean. Well, I probably would have if he didn't get elected, but thankfully Liam's in. He can sort out those Tala people, their problems. Um, <laughs> so you heard about them, but you don't want anything to do with them. Yeah, more or less. I know it was so funny. Like it was weird because like they were totally different. Like we when we were knocking on doors in Tala for him, um, it was all about antisocial behaviour and scrambler bikes are a huge issue and, you know, we don't see enough of a police presence. And then, Whereas in your ward, it was the lack of scrambler bikes. Yeah, you know, we need more scrambler bikes and there's too many police. Like, you, you, know just, you just pull up to a door on the scrambler bike. On the scrambler bike. I kick a sick wheelie and uh, they're, they're all like, ah, oh, there's too many 5-0. Like, don't just, worry, it's biofuel. <laughs> uh, solar powered. This runs Top on speed, hummus. eight miles an hour. Uh, you go, come back. And you're just holding the bike. No, yeah. let me go. I need to go. I know, I'm not to go with the bike. Uh, no, it's just it's just funny how they there were there were obviously similarities, but um, but there were there were just there's a total difference. There's a world apart. You know, these places are uh, the other side of the of the dual carriageway, and it's like no, on this side where they're more interested in you know um, infrastructure in the village and walkability and quality of life, whereas on the other side it's antisocial behaviour and policing, and it, it was very very interesting. It was is great it a, to get that insight. Is it a wealth issue? Would your side be a little bit richer? 
No, um, they're both quite mixed, you know, um, they're both quite mixed. Uh, Clondalkin is, uh, is uh, it's definitely, you definitely wouldn't say it's a leafy part of Dublin. Like it's not. It's a lovely village though. It's not Ranelagh. It's a lovely village. It's a gorgeous little village. So you have the village and the immediate surrounds of the village would be quite middle class. But then if you move up to say the place where I was reared, uh, one of the estates on the outlying edges of the village, um, up around that area, uh, that would be quite mixed. And there were some areas that are solidly working class and would traditionally have a very low voter turnout. And when they do turn out, they vote people before profit or they vote Sinn Féin. Mm. And one of the things I wanted to do in the campaign was to make sure that I made no distinctions, that I went out and I knocked everywhere and spoke to everyone because everyone's vote is important. Uh, and it sort of, it paid off in the end because when you analyse the transfer of votes, it worked. It was a gamble that worked because, you know, there were some, there was a school of thought that would say you should knock in the areas that would be, you know, quote unquote, traditional green strongholds. That's what I heard about this before is that only rich people vote for the green party. Yeah. Well, that's totally changed now at this stage because, um, I say totally changed, like, you know, leafy middle-class areas are still voting green in overwhelming numbers and that's great and fantastic and you know we've always been sort of the, the conscience of the middle class in that way that like but other neighborhoods aren't barred to you anymore yeah well that, yeah. well that's it like yeah and not that they were ever barred to me because I'm, I'm not like you know i'm from there yeah but as a green party label oh yeah suppose so yeah, yeah 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 nobody was making things difficult everybody was willing to talk to me like yeah. there was obviously a handful of people who would say green party i would never vote for the green party because of that. i'd be fine grand yeah, no problem exactly. and equally there were a lot of people who were like i would never vote for the green party i don't like the party but i know you mm. i know you're good so i'll vote for you and that's that individual vote is so so important as well fools <laughs> um, are there any regulations or set rules and restrictions around campaigning? So we talked about the money part. Is there any other kind of things that, that you're not allowed to do because they've decided that's not a good idea? Uh, yeah, posters can't go up until um, the day that is exactly six weeks from polling day. That's a good rule. Um, yeah, so that's good. Now, <laughs> you kind of, like, they're not supposed to go up until midnight uh, and they on do. that day and yet they do because everyone knows that the council litter warden goes home at 6 <laughs> so like at 6.01 the ladders are hitting someone's watching them clock out okay. <laughs> go go boys like go a big, boys a big klaxon yeah. um, so like it, to be honest with you literally guys ladders literally everybody slightly flouted that rule by a couple of hours like I was out at 10 o'clock uh, no we'll not put that on audio uh, no I don't mind I'll say it right okay fine um, the fucking bad boy to green party here I was out just having a look at 10 o'clock, obviously yeah. not putting up any posters, mm-hmm. obviously. <laughs> I don't want to get fined. But I saw, like, posters from everyone. Everyone went up early. So, uh, and then they have to come down five days after the election. So, um, that was... Funnily enough, we thought we'd taken them all down, but a few of them magically reappeared in places I didn't even hang them in the first place. Is but, there uh, fines that, for that? Oh, yeah, yeah. 150 per poster. Oof. It's massive. It's huge. Like, because if you, you forget... Are you insinuating that someone took your posters? To I'm not them? insinuating a damn thing. No, not at all. They just, these posters, they have lives of their own. You know, they make their choices. <laughs> these are new Peters that have will, come into they the will world. Appear, they will appear on a different lamppost with a different color cable tie than I used, you know, mm-hmm. after I took them down. Like, it's just, it happens. It happens. These posters procreate out in the wild and have baby posters, <laughs> little pamphlets that appear elsewhere. <laughs> They've become sad dead. <laughs> Um, no, it does happen, but sure, look, you just, you drive around the constituency a few times, you make sure everything's down. Mm. Is there any other, apart from posters, any other regulations? Posters, uh, money? Trying to think now. Um, you allowed to use a gun? 
you're not well i mean in general no right just in general just for for 99 percent of the things you can do in ireland using can't a gun, use a gun. Is a no no yeah Man, that's yeah, so fascinating like banking they frown on it really if you go in to do your if you're going to do your days banking yeah waving your revolver they frown on that really i like to apply for a mortgage please yeah. <laughs> it's not a visual medium steve you've got to tell people you did the waving the gun thing they got it you? i'll add in the sound effects it's fine <laughs> Whoosh, whoosh. There you go, Richie. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, what was the dynamic like between you and the people you're running against? Is it gladiatorial or is it good natured? Like, how would you describe I think it? We got a hint with the cable tie colours. No, it's a, it's actually it's incredibly good natured. Um, it's incredibly good natured. Apart from your enemies. Uh, apart from my mortal enemies. Um, but you killed them off early, so early, yeah, before the election period. That's begins. one of the one percent of things you are allowed to do with your gun, <laughs> right? And as long as you do it before those six weeks, you're fine. Actually. Exactly, you're, you're you're clear. There's an amnesty after six p.m. An am- <laughs> <laughs> when the guy goes home, yeah, yeah the, I'd love uh, to help you, but <laughs> oh, shoot, pints are calling. The um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the no, I had the experience of working on um one and a half referendum campaigns, I'll say, with a lot of these people. Like uh, last year, 2018, during the repeal the 8th uh, referendum, with a broad coalition of people um, that were from a load of different parties. So I would have run into an awful lot of the candidates, particularly the Sinn Féin candidates and the People Before Profit candidates in my area. Uh, We were all on the same team for repeal. We were all out knocking on doors together. That was incredible canvassing experience as well. Mm. I wasn't around for the, um, the actual the meaty bit of the marriage equality referendum because I was on my own honeymoon, uh, unfortunately. Any excuse. I know, yeah. Out of the country, gone. Um, but I had been involved in sort of the drawing up of a campaign, again, with a lot of the same people. So you get to meet a lot of the local organisers and a lot of the local candidates. So by the time we were all returned, um, you know, I had a working, good working relationship and count a few of them as my as my friends. Uh, and then, like I've grown up in that village, so I know the politicians well. Like I knew the, I knew the Labour Party uh, candidate who I beat for the last seat. Uh, I knew him very well, and you know, I was kind of, I was, I was sad that it was him that I had to knock out of the running to take a seat. But because he, because he's a, a great guy, but we're still involved in the tidy towns together. You know, I still know him. I still go for a pint with him. Um, likewise, one of the long-serving councillors, one of the Fianna Fallers, he's a neighbour of mine. He moved into my estate a year after. I did and I've known him for I've known him since his first election campaign when he was when he was 21 years old so um, I know him and I know his work as well and you know that kind of that good work and relationship was good because that meant when you opened the door and somebody said I'm I'm no I'm voting Sinn Féin oh well I know the candidate like he's deadly that's great like he will he will do a great job for you can I have your number two (laughs) and people were like oh yeah okay that's fine yeah Yeah, that's an endearing quality as well to get from someone you know when you're to clarify for people not listening outside of Ireland I can't remember if the UK for their local elections use PR but basically you're allowed to vote Every, anybody on the ballot can get a vote from you. It just matters what, the higher the number, the better the vote, basically. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Although, like, to be honest with you, like, there is this tendency to hand out number twos as silver medals. Like, they're not. The number one votes are incredibly important because mm. if you don't get enough of them, you're, you're goosed. Like, mm. you're, not, you're not in the hunt. But number twos are important. And by the time I got elected, which was on the seventh count, um, we were down to like number fives and number sixes because people have been elected or eliminated. Wow. So um, every single vote, every single preference, everything. Uh, oh, that's uh, up. Yeah. Although there, there was one guy, there was one guy on Facebook who shared one of my videos and said, this guy is a great candidate and I'm going to give him my number three tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck you. 
That's misplaced enthusiasm. That's a million. <laughs> Check oh, out well. this bronze level man. <laughs> He's adequate. <laughs> it reminds me. It reminds me of my leaving cert English teacher uh, when when we did the when we did the mocks. She um she gave me a C, and um she didn't put any marks on the paper. So I went up afterwards. I was like, um, can I ask like where did I go wrong and what I I want to improve? I want to get a good good mark. And she's oh listen, I just see you as a C student. What? Maybe what? it was her who who did that. I, who posted you know what? That video. It, fucking, it backfired though because I worked my bollocks off and I got an A. Nice. Mm. And I would like I went up to rub her in her face and she was just like, you felt for my my fiendish trap. I was about to say, I bet you she yeah. was gonna take take credit. Oh, she for took that. credit for it, yeah. It was yeah. so annoying. What a bad teacher. <laughs> so annoying. That's or a great teaching. teacher, we're not sure. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean he did get the grade, so that's true. I did, I did, I did. <laughs> sure. Um, but what cost? That was one that was one example of I guess you can call that a horror story. Was there any kind of um so I'm going to steal Richie's pun. He did this. This in the is notes. mine. Cam pains or cam pleasures? You're supposed to say. You're supposed to say it more seductively, like cam pleasures. I didn't want to, and now I definitely never well, want to. hear You're that not recording again. from a masturbatorium, so it sounds great. By the way, there's no echo in there at all. No, the it's walls a, are coated. It's, it's completely, <laughs> totally soundproof. <laughs> that you see, squishy walls is not good in a masturbatorium. <laughs> no, it's all it's all Teflon lined. Oh, those nonstick God. pans. It's the same material. It's like fucking um, NASA in here. Go on. I'll just jump in with the answer because this is just getting worse now. This, this, mean, like, he just won't stop. Uh, campaigns, um, literally pains. Uh, developed arthritis in my foot. Because um, I was doing a lot of walking and a lot of knocking on a lot of doors, and at one stage, uh, a week out from the election, um, I I had to go to the doctor because my foot was killing me, and he said, "Yeah, you've got arthritis in all of your joints of your right foot, uh, so you have to rest it." And I was going, "I can't rest it. I'm doing three canvases a day." He's like, "No, you're not." So I was really that was a real low point. I was really down. So I sent a message in the WhatsApp group, going like, "Guys, I have to cancel tonight's." Uh, canvas for the good of my health i can't do it and then my my mate joe and my wife just said no uh, we'll go out and do it mm. we'll go out and knock on doors for you i was gonna yeah, but i won't be there i was like mm. it doesn't matter let's just get it done it's more important you? that we get the it's more important that we get the doors done well maybe mm. that's why you won it may, well to be honest with you listen i won by 35 votes yeah. in the end. <laughs> like so every single night if i'd missed a single night i could have lost too many votes and, and wow. not oh, no, you're taking that end. as a positive my implication is that you won because you weren't there Oh, no, that's entirely possible. Those 35 votes were like, well, I wasn't going to vote for him, but, but he's not here, so that's good. Oh. It's entirely possible. Yeah, that was campaigns were physical pains. It mm. is absolutely exhausting. Um, and another campaign is um, you do tend to get this terrible imposter uh, syndrome, like just immediately before a canvas, you just sort of get this nagging self-doubt of like, oh shit man why am I going out and putting myself in front of these people and pretending like I'm good enough to represent them or something is like that is this before like, you start walking or every before time? you knock on the first door wow. first door before you knock on the first door before I knock on the first door that's what happens to me every single time and then as soon as the first person opens the door and you start chatting to them it's the most natural thing in the world do you anyway. think you're going to get that now that you actually got elected I don't know like um, I've been around sort of talking to people about issues that they have in the constituency and it's felt really natural it's felt really good working with them and all that so I think maybe maybe the fact that they've put their faith in me is sort of going to mm. overcome that but I mean geez, it's um, 
it's so daunting, like this idea that you're going out and asking people like, I want to represent you. I want to be the person that you come to for your problems and your issues. And I want to be the one that fixes them. And I want to be the one that you, you know, you vote for again in five years time. And yeah, it's just, it just sort of hits you like a ton of bricks. But then I love the idea of you me, having an existential crisis at the door where someone asks, well, why should I vote for you? And you go, I, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't even know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. No, um, I'm seeing myself somebody, a number three. As soon as <laughs> I'm yeah, only worth a number three, apparently, according to this one guy who shared my Facebook video. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but like as soon as somebody answers the door and starts chatting to them, you just know what you're doing. It sort of kicks in. You go like, "Hey, how's it going? I'm Peter Cavan. I'm your local Green Party candidate. I'm looking for your number one vote. Is there any? You know, are there any issues in the area? Is there anything you want to talk about?" And easy as pie, then just natural uh, going out talking to people. And I have no bad stories from having been out there. There were a couple of canvases that were, you got sort of more negative than positive, but that's all part of it. Like, mm. you know what I mean? You go out there and I know that like somebody comes out and says, oh, I'm never going to vote for you. Waste of time and all that. There was one guy answered the door. He's, he didn't even say anything to me. He just pointed at his car. I was like, oh yeah, not ni- nice car. And he goes, that's a diesel. Okay. A three liter engine. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm not getting rid of that. I don't, I don't want you to. Yeah. Like, I'm not a vegan either. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I just want you to vote green. Like, you know what I mean? And, and like, I want to, I, in general, I want to make it easier for you to leave that lovely big car at home and take the bus or cycle. But whatever, man, you do you. Like, I'm not here to sort of dictate your life choices. And so for Cam, I'm not going to say it the way Richie said it. Pleasures. Oh, now you're Cam both up Um, I don't want you to give me a wishy-washy answer here about how good it is to help people and all that shit. I want you to give me something specific about like free ice cream or something. <laughs> oh, I didn't get any free ice cream. <laughs> something the equivalent to that. Did you really win um, then, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what was great. Um, there was one evening on the campaign where Eamon Ryan came out to canvas with three of us. Party leader. Party leader, Eamon Ryan, leader of the Green Party of Ireland. Been around he, a good while. Yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah. Cool dude. He came, out, uh, he came out to canvas with three of us in one evening. Um... Clondalkin, Tala Central and Lucan. So he came out to canvas with our candidates, me and Clondalkin, Liam Sinclair and Tala Central and Vanessa Mulhall and Lucan. And um, the Irish Times got wind of it and they said, can we tag along? So Jennifer Bray from the Irish Times, who's a fantastic political reporter, great journalist, she came along. And we just we just had three cracking canvases, just really, really good. But um, at one stage, uh, at one stage we... <laughs> It was. It got a bit weird, like at times, because like people were just so overawed by Eamon Ryan being there. So he was being invited into houses to, like, you know, Eamon, Eamon, I'm a painter. It's like, oh, cool. Can I see your paintings? And we're like, into somebody's house. Sounds like, like Bill Murray. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's brilliant. Like he's just so good with people. But like he's when I canvas, it's all about speed, and it's like try and get as many houses done as possible. Uh, have I have I got your details? Do I know what I need to solve? Do I know what I need to do? Have you promised me the number one? Great. I'm going to say goodbye politely, and I'm going to move on to the next house, because i got a lot of number ones to get. But Eamon is so interested in people, and so willing to talk to them, and everything that, like, long after this guy has promised me the number one, uh, Eamon's in the front room looking at his paintings, and I'm in the kitchen with Jennifer Bright from the Irish Times, talking to his wife about how, in the right doses, marigolds are poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> Which she had learned on a on a, a course about medieval gardening down in Wexford. So it was like just 
It's insane. It's and surreal. then you're smiling and you look out the window and you see a lot There's of a lot margles out there. <laughs> a lot of margles out there. one patch missing <laughs> as you sip the tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we declined, the, politely declined the cup of tea. That time. Um, yeah, so that, that was probably one thing that sticks out, like without That's trying to be pleasure. wishy-washy. I mean, my yeah. answer, my, my gut feeling to answer that was every single time you came back with a good canvas mm. where more people said they were going to vote for it than than said they weren't yeah that's class like there that is such an adrenaline rush it's so it's good. the opposite of what you were getting when you were not when you, it's the opposite of the imposter syndrome yeah definitely yeah. like as you you finish with a tremendous confidence and probably for me over the whole campaign um so can we go into the count a little bit? Because sure. a, a PRSTV count, a proportional representation uh, by single transferable vote count, I've heard it described as the Irish equivalent of cricket. Yes. Because like, it's our sport that's played out over five days. And we revel in it. We when revel no, in it. We nobody it. else understands it. I know. But so what happens is initially the first stage is you get up to the count centre and all of the political parties, they have volunteers who are not the candidates who do what are known as tallies, yeah. where they roughly look at the boxes being opened up and they roughly estimate how many votes everybody has. And when the tallies came in for Clondalkin, I was looking like I was in trouble. I was in eighth place in a seven-seat constituency, not looking good. I had 870 votes according to the tallies, which I thought would have been enough to get elected, but it wasn't because other people had, had much more. And I was... I was worried. Like people were saying, you look like you've seen a ghost. Like you look mm. absolutely sick to your stomach. And I was, I was feeling terrible. People were coming up to me. Other candidates were talking about their campaign. And you got to bear in mind, this is in the middle of the so-called green wave. Mm. Like, so we've got greenies topping the pole all over the place. You know, we got Hazel Chew in Pembroke with like two and a half, three quotas. They basically made her Am- dictator, yeah. Amazing performance. Like incredible. Rides around on a big golden Segway now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On a palanquin, carried by <laughs> carried by vegans. Uh, they're so strong they eat all that spinach. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> spinach powered palanquin, carried by a bunch of vegan MMA fighters as they bring her from council meeting to council meeting. But they they're MMA trained, but they choose not to fight. They choose not to fight because they're pacifists as well because they're in the green movement. Um, so like we we had Hazel top in the poll, we had Patrick Coslow top in the poll, Michael Pigeon top in the poll, um, but out in South Dublin County Council where there had been no green presence to speak of beforehand we had a little bit of a, a stronger fight in our hand. Now, my colleague William Priestley topped the poll and my colleague Francis Duffy did really well in Ferris Knock Line and was elected. Um, but myself and Liam Sinclair, we were in dogfights and there were other candidates that weren't going to get a seat. So it was a different picture out there. And as the Green Party's Irish language spokesperson, I had to do a load of media interviews about what a brilliant day it was for the Greens wow. while I was looking like I was sunk. So I had Aww. to put on a brave face. But then they did the first count and it turns out the tallies were wrong. And I wasn't Ooh. in 8th place, I was in 6th place. And what I a Sorkin-esque than... twist. Oh my God, absolutely. So I went to bed in 6th place out of uh, 7 instead of 8th. So I was delighted. I was sending happy tweets going to bed like half 12 on a Saturday night going, first count's in, things look good, it'll be a fight, I need good transfers, I need to, I need to do well out of the candidates that are eliminated and the ones that are elected. And uh, sure enough, that's that's how it felt. Like it was transfer friendliness in the end. I was at this stage. It's almost like you're observing your own football team. You can't actually participate. All the work is done. You're just kind yeah. of watching it. Yeah, yeah. You, it's so weird because you're 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 commentating and speculating yeah. on something that has already happened. I need you to do well here in this box that's yeah. already entirely full. And it's I already can't entirely full. And I can't do anything about it. I right. need I to, to sneak well. in here and stuff the ballot box. No, but that's that's it. Like you can't even do any of that. Like they're incredibly careful about that. Like you yeah, can't, yeah, you can't, Peter. You can't do, wing. 
can't do a tap. Wink. You can't do that. <laughs> Wink. Um, so I spent all night stuffing Bellum. Oh, oh, damn. Oh, oh, <laughs> got him. Oh, there's my gotcha question. Damn it. Get him, boys. Uh, but like the way the way the commentary goes, like you know, people are going up to you saying like, ah, listen, you should do well now if you if you if you do well out of people before profit there. If you manage to get ten percent of the Chinfeld transfers now, you'll you'll be in with a fight. And I was not like, like we call it a fight but like there's nothing you can do you're entirely passive and I had friends going up and doing rough tallies of the transfer counts and everything and then coming back and telling me and I was like don't tell me don't tell me there's nothing I can do to change it but uh, it worked out in the end and we like I said 35 votes in the end between me and the the last person to be eliminated you won. so it was very close you won I what won. did you do the night you won sorry what did you do the night you won uh, so I got I got elected at seven oh four PM on Sunday the twenty seventh and at eight fifteen there was a meeting of all the new Green Party councillors in the ah, RDS. Lame. So I got, got straight <laughs> I was to say, the car. by seven eighteen I had OD'd. <laughs> <laughs> I I got straight in the car with a bunch of other Green Party councillors who were who were recently elected. Um we drove straight to the RDS. Um, carpooled because that's how we roll uh, straight to the RDS and um, we had a meeting of the councillors we got a little bit of advice from those that had been elected and then we went straight into the RDS Simmons court for the first count of the European elections because our candidate Kieran Cuff in Dublin did incredibly well and topped the poll so there was a celebratory atmosphere but I brought the car so I wasn't having any jars so uh, the following night the Monday night I had two points of Guinness in my local and then I think I started to fall asleep. Nice. Because so, it just it just hits you like you, you're just exhausted. And then it was and then it was straight to work. Um, there was no let up. It was you have to the councils have to have a meeting within um, I think it's within two weeks. So you're straight in uh, and then you're straight to work. Um, so it was it's kind of I haven't really had a let up but I've had mm. lots of chances to analyse things. I've had lots of chances to sit down over coffee with friends and look at the numbers and look at how things went and, you know, plan for the future. And, uh, um, but yeah, I just wish, I'd love to have a story of like, oh yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, got elected and then went out on the razz, like got absolutely <laughs> scuttered. Like, Rolled no, the wife. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, no time for anything. But, yeah. So speaking, uh, speaking of the future, now that you've won... What happens next? Your counselor, what's what's on the cards for Peter? Well, I mean, it's work. It's 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 work hard as a counselor. Like you know, um, we I'm the chair of my local electoral area committee, so that um that means that I have a lot of responsibility. I chair the meetings of the seven councillors that that um sit in Clondalkin, like a mini council meeting. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like the mini mayor of a mini council meeting, um, but I don't get like get a tiny little chain. I don't get the title of the chain. It means I do get to fill in for the mayor sometimes. Um, if the mayor is not able to do a public appointment, the deputy mayor is asked. And if the deputy mayor is, is not available, then the local area chair gets to do it. And then if that local area chair isn't available, it goes to the other local area chairs and this is anybody able to go over to wherever and do this because like the mayor's had an accident or whatever. Peter, so, how co- many people have to get food poisoning before Steve and I are invited along to uh, do it? I worked it out and it's like 4,139,816. I love that there's I, even more I, people that's in the Republic of Ireland before we get chosen. <laughs> um, I like those odds. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, just the other week I um, I had to fill in for the mayor and uh, I got Ooh. to judge a dog show. 
the best thing <gasps> it was ever. Class. Oh my it was god! Absolutely class. It was deadly. I went out to this family fun day and I had to judge a dog show. I had to give I had to give a, a prize to a champion boxer who won a European bronze medal in the under 13 60 kilogram category. So I got to pose with the do the you know the, the champ pose. You put your fist up and all that and take photos and and then they said, oh, we want you to judge the dog show as well. It's kind of like. I will do this. I'm 100% in, but I want you to know that I'm no canine expert. And they were like, no, no, it's cool. Most obedient, waggiest tail, uh, and happiest smile. You're trying to make oh. it out that these are difficult things, that these are not difficult things to choose. Well, like my old landlord, uh, before I bought a house, my old landlord was a judge at dog shows. Oh, like and Crufts like the kind of Crufts, thing. like yeah. and shit uh, like that. Lame. Like he would travel the world doing that, yeah, but like yeah, that's yeah. where you're, you know, you're, you're cupping the animal's genitals and everything and like seeing like what form and measuring their spine and stuff like that. I just had to go, hey, he's got a waggy tail. <laughs> Give him the prize. He's so the best boy. dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Best, best boy. boy. So you mentioned European elections. There is an empty seat in Dal Aaron because one of the people from your area got up to the European elections. Yeah, so... You um, are... Are you the only greenie that's going to go for it? Um, I've put my name forward. I mean... Um, I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but um, as we sit and speak at the very tail end of, of August, uh, I've been nominated to stand for the by-election. So again, because we take all our decisions at the lowest effective decision-making level, anybody anybody can be nominated for that uh, by-election. Um, they have to be nominated by two members of the party from Dublin Midwest. So, I mean, I hope that I don't have to contest this election convention. I will run in the by-election. Small parties traditionally haven't been successful in by-elections, but that said, I look at um, Ruth Coppinger won a by-election for Solidarity mm-hmm. uh, in Dublin 15, in Dublin West, a couple of years ago, and she's been an excellent parliamentarian. She's just used that platform. So, um, yeah, we'll look, we'll give it a rattle. Um, one of the things about it is, like, you know, council, council work, when, when you're elected as a councillor, if for any reason you have to step down, either because you got elected to a higher office or because, you know, and this happens to a lot of councillors, the pressure is too much and you can't do the work for what little money it is. Cause there was like, a Sinn Féin councillor um, stepped down during yeah. the week, actually. Yeah. I mean, look, it's 17 grand a year mm. and people expect to be able to talk to you and call you at all hours of the night and day, like, and it happens. I could go podcasting on a Saturday evening. Yeah, which is fine. That's a Saturday evening. That's quite, and to be honest with you, I saw the size of the check you were offering me. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a huge check, but there's only two cents written on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, quite, we didn't agree to two cents. Well, it's, listen, it's going to cost me 30 cents to lodge it, so, I mean. <laughs> oh, this huge check costs me even more. Yeah. Um, a zero. No, so, like, like the, the money, the money isn't, um, the money isn't amazing. Like, it wouldn't, put it this way, it wouldn't pay for my childcare. You know, never mind. Never um, mind your baby's childcare. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, Steve, that's a very good uh, joke. That's excellent. Thank you. That's, that's, I, get one, I get one per episode. Uh, yeah, so it wouldn't pay for, <laughs> wouldn't pay for his childcare either. Um, never mind, like, my mortgage or anything like that. So I have to balance it with a full-time job. So it's, it's, it's tough going. I understand why people succumb to the pressure, and I understand why people resign. But the point I was making is, if you have to resign for whatever reason, good or bad, your party gets to co-opt someone to take your place. So as a member of a small party with a little bit of profile from having been elected as a councillor, it's kind of a no-brainer to go for a by-election because, you know, best case scenario, you win and you get to put another green on the council. You don't Mm. lose the the, the voice you have at council level. Yeah. You know, because you get to co-opt someone. Whereas if you're in the Doyle or the Shannon and you resign your seat for whatever reason, 
there has to be election. a by-election, yeah. like we're like we're talking about. Yeah, it's so, the same. It's the same for the European elections as well. By the way, like if you step down for the European seats, they don't go through the rigmarole of an entire mini no, election. Just no, we only do it for the national parliament, like most places. Actually, the, the only difference is that uh, with the European elections, you submit your replacement list first. So um, your replacement list is there when you're on the ballot paper. So it's there. So you can Google any of your European candidates and you can look and see if this person is not able to take their seat for yes. whatever reason, Ed, who would come in their place? Like. Ed Davids, did he stand to try and be nominated? Ed yeah, Davids, he, was on our he did. Well, I mean, we're, we're kind of unique in that respect that we, um, there's, there's only a few parties that do it. We uh, we elect our replacements. So there are five replacements. But I'm trying to remember, how many steps away is Ed David from getting to, into the MEP? Uh, I think three people would have to resign. Uh, how many Ed. people would have to resign before Steve and I? <laughs> Um, do you remember that number I said earlier on? Yeah. Do- double it. Add a million. Double it. <laughs> um, Add everyone in Scotland too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, basically all the Belgian Greens would have to get food poisoning. Like it would be, it's, uh, yeah. Don't pin your hopes on it. Greens are really hard to food poison as well because they don't yeah. eat the meat, which is dangerous. Damn it. That's why you got to hide raw chicken I, in the hummus. I, I eat meat. Don't say that too loud. You're a Green Party councillor. I, I eat meat. Like, I mean, one of the key things I was trying to get across in the campaign is like I'm I'm like I'm not a vegan I'm not even a vegetarian I'm very conscious of what I eat like I, I am like I try and eat local as much as possible we don't eat a lot of meat when we cook dinner at home it's rarely uh, meat but I fucking love meat like Are it's you class saying, like. so you're saying you want some of my brisket oh, 100% like yeah Absolutely. Richie, we're going to finish this up and go eat some bricks, brisket. Do you have any more questions for him before we do that? Because, I mean, I'm about to leave right now. Oh, all I can think about is brisket. <laughs> so I can think of, No, let's, let's wrap it up. Great. Um, Thank you so much, Peter. Yeah. Yeah, cheers, guys. It's, Congratulations uh, on getting elected. I thanks, would yeah, like well to done. think it is something to do with the fact that you appeared on What on Politics already. Hey, mate, 35 votes, like literally everything. If anybody in Clondalk and listened to What on Politics and said, you know what, I'm going to vote for that guy, it helped. Bono is hey, a pox. Bono is a massive pox. <laughs> you know what, Peter? You're welcome. <laughs> Wait, one more time. What was that translation of tight uncle buttocks? It's like a tone town dunkle. That was it. I'm going to write that down. You should see his face, his expression, his body language as he has to do this. He's not happy. <laughs> God damn it, Say Nolan. It, I am Peter. not your performing translation monkey. Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> tone town dunkle. That's right. Okay, I'm off to the masturbatorium. <laughs> oh, God. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.